0: Reverse Interview Podcast, Episode 3. Now is the perfect time to find your dream job, but it requires a fresh look and a unique twist. That's why Charles Woolsey is here to extract proven solutions from today's experts and make your dream job a reality. Welcome to the Reverse Interview Podcast. Get in, get hired, get promoted. Here's your host, whose favorite band is ELO, Charles Woolsey. Oh man, I love ELO ever since the 70s. What a great band whose music has really stood the test of time. And I usually don't have favorites when people ask me what my favorites or whatever is, but when it comes to music, I really love these guys. Hello, and welcome to this episode with Dr. Eric Shores. Now, let me set this one up for you. I've heard so many times that you should just follow your passion. And if you have a passion, if you know what it is, that's great. No, it's not just great. It's completely and totally awesome. But for many of us, it just puts pressure on us to figure out what that one thing is that we should be doing. And I know I've beat myself up about it many times. Well, Eric has a little different take on the whole passion thing, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Just listen to his journey and how he got started and how he follows his curiosity instead of his passion and doesn't worry about that passion thing so much. I think he's on to something. Eric has written several books, including Evil Does Not Have the Last Word and Women Under Glass. Here's Dr. Eric Shores. What was your first job?
1: My first job was as a radio announcer for a station called KOSG in Osage, Iowa. I was 16. It was an interesting path to get to that first job because it was one I wasn't looking for, per se. I was a sophomore in high school, and the guidance uh, counselor decided to institute a job-seeking program because it has happened to many people throughout history. You think you know what you want to do for a career. You get to college, and then you get there and find out this isn't what I want to do, and now what happens? So the guidance counselor said, well, let's have the people in my class Pick career options that they'd like to explore, and they'll go spend an hour or so live in the field seeing how that job is done, and that would help them help us get on a career path. And originally, I had selected a computer programmer because I always liked computers, thought it was interesting, thought it'd be fun for a career. And so the guidance counselor set me up to do my job shadowing at the local bank. As time grew near for me to do my shadowing assignment, I really dreaded it because, quite frankly, it sounded rather boring. And I had a second thought, and I thought, you know, as just a person on the other end of it, I have always loved radio. From the time that I was five years old, I am just an AM radio junkie trying to tune in radio stations from as far away as I can, and something that I still do today, as a matter of fact. And I thought, you know, I love WKRP in Cincinnati. It was on the air, and I, I love radio, but I've never seen the inside of a radio studio. That sounds like more fun than some boring old bank. So I went to my guidance counselor and I said, Here's the deal, I'd rather go to a radio station and check out being a DJ. And he said, Well that's fine, but you're gonna have to do it because I have already set you up on this other appointment. I'll cancel it, but you get the shadowing assignment at the radio station. There was one in the next town about fifteen miles away. So I called and I explained what I wanted to do and they said, Sure, come on in and went into the radio studio and it was as though I were in The Wizard of Oz and now here's the great and wonderful Oz behind the curtain and you see how everything is run and was just fascinated. And this was in the days where we used vinyl. So you had turntables and reel-to-reel machines and, and things of that nature. And just watching that announcer do her work and see how what I heard on the other side as a consumer executed inside of a studio I thought it was just fascinating, and I think I was there two, two and a half hours instead of the one I was supposed to, because it was just so fascinating to me, and after I finished the time with the announcer, the station manager called me back to his office, and he said, obviously, you have an interest in this, and I said, this is wonderful, I love this, it's so cool, et cetera, et cetera, and he said, well, how would you like to work here, and my jaw almost one-hopped the floor, because at the time, I was 15, and I would never have imagined that going into this school assignment, someone would offer me a position. And I said, well, I'm 15 and I live out of town. Is that a problem? And he said, well, why don't you come back when you're 16? Well, four months later, I turned 16. And on my 16th birthday, I gave him a call and I said, okay, this is me. I was there. You said this. I'm 16. What do I do next? And he said, well, I'll have you come in and train in two weeks and we'll get you on the air. So June 30th, 1984, was my first on-air show as an announcer. We were also a Chicago Cubs baseball affiliate. So I played some music, did a little banter between records, and then at at the appointed time, then went to the WGN Cubs radio network and essentially then played commercials during the baseball game. And, you know, 30 years later, here I am still in radio, but it's been quite a journey of of experiences and and jobs along the way.
0: That is pretty amazing. What really came across to me that I find interesting and telling is – Even at a very early age, you were listening to your intuition about what it is you wanted to do, steering away from those things that were recommended to you but sounded boring and listening to your heart. And obviously, when you got there at the radio station, you're supposed to be there for an hour. I guess they they didn't kick you out after your hour, saw how interested you were. And just the enthusiasm is what really probably propelled them to making you that offer.
1: And I think, I absolutely agree. And I think sometimes we're told to pursue our passions, which I certainly support. But sometimes I think it's also following our curiosities and just being a sponge and learning more. And then you tend to surprise yourself or be surprised at the doors that open up. And that's really for me, you know, and going in there that day, I was open because in all honesty, did I think I was going to get a job in radio? No, I just wanted to go somewhere that I had never been before. That's something that I enjoyed and was curious to see how it was actually done. And then the more I was around it, the more I realized this is really interesting. And then when offered the opportunity to do it, I jumped at it and I tell people that I've never worked a day in my life because you can't have this much fun and call it work. And part of it is because as most things happen within society, changes, whether it's socially, technologically, etc., you know, it it always makes things new and interesting and different and challenging in very good ways. I think it's not only following your passion, but also where your curiosity leads you.
0: I know for myself and and other people I've spoken to that finding your passion thing can be very intimidating because you have this feeling that or expectation that there's this one thing you're supposed to be doing. But in reality, and what I heard you say is, if you're just interested in something, that's good enough. Follow it, see where it goes.
1: And that's really, to me, an important point is being able to follow it. And I'm going to use this phrase a lot, apparently, be open to something that maybe is a fork in the road, but a positive one and not say this is the only thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Now, I'm in radio still, and that's fine. And and anybody that wants to stay in a field, that's great. What I'm saying is I didn't stay an announcer for 30 years and say this is the only thing that I'm doing. There's other things that I've done along the way that I wouldn't necessarily have expected to do when I started out. That when a situation and opportunity presented itself, came forward and I recognized that even though I wasn't sure if this was a path for me, I was open to at least trying it. And that really happened with my second job, if you will, because after high school, I had decided I've been doing radio for two years, but nobody really trained me how to do it. It's just been more off the cuff, on the fly osmosis, and I wanted more formal training. So I went to a community college that had a radio program, went through that program, got a job as an announcer and program manager at a local station, different from the one that I'd started at, and over time proceeded to rise up the ranks of, of this radio station And sometime a few years later, my instructor at the college said, would you be a substitute instructor at the college? Because he had been elected mayor. He was going to be gone quite a bit for meetings and such, and he needed a substitute. He said, you always did a great job. You were a wonderful student. You're smart. You're good at what you do. That's the kind of person that I need to be a sub for me. Would you be willing to do that? And at first I was hesitant because I thought, well, I've had no training as a teacher. I am 23 years old at this point been in the industry for you know eight years but still pretty much a newbie and I thought well if he has that much confidence in me to ask me to put his program in my hands, what's it going to hurt? If I'm awful, he just won't ask me to do it again. And so I ended up subbing for him for two years and, and found that I really enjoyed it because I was around people who are passionate and curious about this industry, and I found I had a knack for training people in, in how to do things that I already knew how to do within the radio industry. Little did I know until about three years later that I was initially asked to uh, to sub my predecessor retired and he had said you know I've been grooming you (laughs) for this position didn't tell me that those three years he said I am recommending to administration that they hire you to take over the program as the lead instructor and department head." Because you know the program as a student, you know the program as a substitute, and you can plug in and go, and he goes, I know that you'll have ideas and ways of doing things that are different from me that that are necessary right now, and this is the mid-90s, and I think that's really going to bode well for the college and the program in the future. All of a sudden, now I'm a college instructor because I did interview for the position. I was hired. At that time, I was working at the radio station evenings, So I'd go in at three in the afternoon and work till about midnight. So what it uh, amounted to be is I was teaching radio by day and then doing radio by night. Where that really helped my students is... I could bring to the classroom, here's what's currently going on, where my predecessor hadn't worked in the industry in 30 years, and also they could listen to me and realize, oh, he's doing the same things on the air that he's telling us to do in class, so maybe that's the way it's supposed to be done. It was that extra credibility builder. And then about two years after that, it was tough juggling both, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this teaching thing a shot and, and see where it leads me. And That's why I talk about, again, being open and not slotting yourself to say, I'm only doing this position my whole life. When you open yourself up, and obviously, I'd done a lot of things right in the eyes of my instructor for him to think so highly of me. I didn't know it then, but as my tenure was winding down at the college, I realized that there was a piece of my resume, my career resume, that was missing, and that was sales. And so I thought, because I'd pretty much done everything else except engineering and sales, and I really didn't have an interest in engineering. And there's a bunch of radio stations in the area, and one that I had really enjoyed listening to as a kid, you know, played top 40 music and such, and was the cool station in the area. And professionally, I had fostered a relationship with the general manager of the station. And about once a summer, the last three years I was at the college, I just go in and chat with her and bounce some ideas off of her because I pretty much said the job that you have now is the one that I would like to do in the industry, whether it's here or somewhere else. And I know that most of the people in your position have come up through sales where I've come up through programming. And I said, I'd really like to get into sales to, to round out my career resume to then be able to be a general manager. And she said, well, I don't have anything open for you, but if I hear something, I'll let you know. And that went on for three consecutive summers. And she was very nice and gave me some nice pointers. And In the meantime, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association had offered some free sales training courses that were three-day seminars that would happen quarterly that I would go in and and start building up my skill set there so that if I ever did interview for a position, I could say, oh, yes, I have all this knowledge and education. And quite frankly, with What I did at the college, I had to recruit my own students. There's a certain amount of sales in that. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, you buy X number of commercials for X number of dollars there was still a sales process there. Well, I had just been um, given an unrequested leave of absence by the college because enrollment was down, budget cuts from the state. They were eliminating a bunch of programs. Mine got caught up with it. Here I was without a position. Three months later, this general manager who I'd had the relationship with, she said, you know how you'd come in and talk to me about sales? And I said, yes. She said, well, I have a sales position open. I thought of you when I when the last person quit would you like to come in for an interview and I said absolutely went in interviewed she called me two days later to offer me the position and That was uh, 12 years ago.
0: (laughs) And that's what you're still doing there now?
1: Yes. Whereas before I was a local sales representative, I'm now a regional sales representative. And essentially, I help businesses draw up their marketing plans, their marketing messages, build their schedules for 10 radio stations, but also digital platforms and live events. So it's been quite the ride in the last 30 years. But a lot of what I've done has come from, A, excellence in what I'm doing because I wanted to do everything that I did very, very well and being noticed by people who later were impressed enough by me or thought enough of me to say, this is the kind of guy I would like to do fill in the blank. Right. And I, I think a lot of it comes from from that and just continuing to be curious and fostering some of uh, what turned out to be very important relationships.
0: Yeah. A couple of things that I, that I heard was that it sounds like you always try to maintain a professional attitude- what you're doing no matter what it is and then when you do that you never know who's going to notice you like when you started working at the college there it was because of your attitude and the way you conducted yourself the other thing that I was thinking about was the book who moved my cheese That Mm -hmm. you you can get too comfortable in what you're doing and if you're aware and looking down the road and planting some seeds because you knew you wanted to fill in some gaps in your resume in the sales side that you started working on that long before you really had to. So that by the time that you really needed this job change, those seeds that you had been planting came to fruition.
1: And I think along with that is the self-awareness where I knew where my weak spot was, that if I ever wanted to advance, here was the area that was going to hold me back. And so I think you could almost say preemptively, I tried to address that where, again, I didn't have any experience per se, but I'd gotten the training from an industry association, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association, who'd brought in national sales trainers who were recognized in their field that then I'd have that on my resume to say, well, yeah, it's not as though I'm walking right off the street with no experience whatsoever. I have these certifications of these trainings that I've done from people you've heard of people that have probably trained your people that I can step in and go. And I think for me, a lot of it too is philosophy of if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. I think that applies to knowledge updates, skill updates, keeping current what's going on in the industry, whatever it may be, if you're in it or looking for a transition into a new industry, and recognizing where the trends are going. A lot of times, lately, I'd say it seems there's a new trend every year, and it's not necessarily in the industry. It's how technology is changing industries and being able to keep up with that, and people don't have an option of standing still. Because it's truly if you aren't moving forward, you're going backward. Somebody who is moving forward is going to pass you and, and get that position that maybe you covet. Somebody just worked harder to get.
0: You might have answered this already as you're going through your career. But tell me about your biggest career hurdle that you face in your career and how you overcame it.
1: I think the biggest hurdle, I'll give two answers to that question. First of which simply was I got into radio at such a young age that it was difficult to be taken seriously. And my mother had told me often when I would express my frustration, she just like, you'll be amazed at when you start getting gray hair, how much better your ideas get. And she goes, they'll probably be the same ones you had that you're having now, but you're too young. People don't take that seriously yet. And so part of that to try to overcome it was I grew a beard. So at least I tried to (laughs) look older. But the other thing was when you face people who have more experience than you do, whether it's life experience or work experience, to me, the one thing I had on my side was hustle. I always wanted to keep learning. And so I'd go to trainings. I'd read books. I'd do anything that I could to immerse myself that would make me better that was doing something that my competition or even my coworkers weren't so that I was better prepared for them so that when suddenly my idea that was coming from too young of a person came out, I could substantively, maybe even quantitatively say, well, why I'm saying this or what the idea is based on X, Y, and Z. And the more prepared I was, the easier, quote unquote, it was for people to at least hear my idea. They didn't always enact them. But as long as they heard them and contemplated them, I thought that's at least a step in the right direction. The other piece that was a career challenge is at the college, in academia, a lot of times you're looking at classes that are liberal arts based. And that's how a lot of the administrators came up were through the liberal arts side, where I was more on the career side. Where it's not just the knowing and the academic exercise, it's the physical, practical application. On the liberal arts side, teachers don't have to recruit their students because students have to take their classes. On the career side, like mine, people don't have to take my classes. I have to find people who want to get into the field and then convince them to come into my program. The college did not always support my program financially the way it needed to be. And that was a big, a really big hurdle for me. Where I overcame that was I had a vision of what the program could do and where it could go and where I could take it personally. And I shared that vision with people in the industry, radio stations not only in the area but in the region, Uh, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association, national publications like Radio World and Radio Inc. magazines, and got them to buy into my vision that then in partnering with them, I was able to accomplish things that I didn't even need administration for. And then this administration started sitting up and taking notice of, wow, he's partnering with the industry, which any college loves when a program partners with the industry and has buy-in from local business and industry. And that's when the program really started taking off was when administration was noticing those partnerships that in some cases took years to build then all of a sudden with those factors working together with people excited about the program where the industry was coming to us that was a tremendous help in overcoming a lot of the challenges that i'd faced internally
0: the tie-in between business and the local community is always a huge factor in getting a lot of things done. Let me ask you another question. Let me shift gears a little bit. Do you have an overarching personal philosophy that you have that kind of keeps you on focus, keeps you on track of moving down the path that you want to be on? This
1: is a, a tad self-serving uh, <laughs> and, and fraught with self-promotion, but <laughs> I, um, I will tell people that I'm a force of nature. I am ambitious, tenacious, relentless, And I will not stop till I get the job done. I always tell people that more as a metaphor than actual physical in nature. But, you know, you can knock me down as many times as you can, but I'm just going to keep getting up and moving forward and that really for me when I've come to an obstacle well then that's when things get interesting because I'm betting I can overcome that obstacle more so than that obstacle can overcome me that has served me well in life because by virtue of what I've tried to accomplish with walking into places like the, uh, the first radio job I had, there are a lot of challenges and obstacles there because I didn't know. And so I was trying to pick up on the fly what I should be doing and how I should be doing it and trying to, you know, be this polished personality. And the same thing when I walked into the college without having any practical teaching, training or experience. I got my teaching license just before I was hired, you know, didn't get my bachelor's degree till I was in my 30s. I was doing these things before I actually was trained how to do them, there were some challenges there. There were some obstacles and I just refused to to yield to them. It's like, okay, you may get the better of me one day, but I'm just going to keep pushing through and keep learning and keep learning the lesson that a particular obstacle is trying to teach me.
0: I heard I heard someone say one time, I forget who it was, that they really enjoyed seeing those obstacles. Because they know that anybody pursuing that path is going to hit the same obstacles. But most people are going to give up and the fact if you keep pushing through them you're automatically gonna put yourself in the top echelon of people in that industry.
1: I agree and I think if things are always easy, you're never stretched. And if you're never stretched, you never grow. And so these obstacles, while they could be perceived as a negative in the short term, can really be a positive because a lot of times we never know what we're capable of doing, where our limits are until they're tested. For me, I want to know where my limits are. And in some ways, I found some. And in some ways, I'm still searching. And I don't mean that in a... You know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread comment, but I think a lot of times we stop ourselves because of self-limitations as opposed to where our limitations actually are. A non-professional example I'll give for that is running. And Charles, you know I'm a runner. And back in the day, 20 years ago, I'd run seven miles a day. And I just run. I wasn't racing. I wasn't doing anything formal. I would just go run because it was an easy form of of exercise. And people would say, well, you know, how come you don't run a half marathon? I would say, well, my personal philosophy on that is anything over eight miles, I'm driving. (laughs) Because quite frankly, I didn't know if I could do it physically. I just knew mentally it didn't sound like any fun. Right. So therefore, I put that limitation. Well, now, when I got into my early 40s, that's when I started running half marathons and marathons. Part of it then at that age is, as you know, when you're young, you really don't care. But as you get older, then you kind of wonder, well, could I do this? Can I am I still there physically that I could do, you know, whatever the the task is? And so just out of curiosity, I thought, okay, can I do this half marathon stuff? And then I did it and found out that I really actually enjoyed it. But... The next inevitable question is, well, when are you going to do a full marathon? And I said, there's no way in God's green earth I am ever, 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 ever doing a full marathon. 26.2 miles? Are you nuts? There's no way I want to do that. That really doesn't sound like fun. Well, after the conclusion of my first race season, Julie and I were watching the Biggest Loser TV show, which is one of two reality shows I will hold still for. The hook of that season was called Battle of the Ages. So they had people in their 20s through people in their 70s competing. And the second to the last show of that season, they had all the contestants, even the eliminated players come back and they did their own marathon. And I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just gnashing my teeth because I'm a very competitive person. And I'm seeing these 50 and 60 and 70 year olds crossing the finish line of a marathon now granted some of the older competitors it took them eight hours but i don't care how long it takes 26.2 miles is 26.2 miles so i'm sitting there just gnashing my teeth watching them come across the finish line because i thought okay what's your happy little excuse to keep your hiney on the couch some 70 some year old just did a marathon and you're saying oh no i don't want to do one so i made the decision it's like okay i may do only one but I'm going to do at least one. There's that little voice in the back of my head that's saying, are you sure you can do that? That's a heck of a pounding physically to do a marathon. Now I've done two and I'm training for my third. And I think that goes back to what we're talking about with challenges as obstacles is, you know, sometimes the limits we impose upon ourselves are far far from where our limitations are in reality, if we'd given it a shot to see where the limits are.
0: So many times you're programmed so deeply and so thoroughly that you have no idea of these self-imposed limitations that you have and your awareness of that. I, I think once you see one of those, it sounds like it's really a call to action for you to overcome it. I entirely agree. Okay, let me ask you a couple more quick questions and then we'll wrap it up. Curious what, if you have a personal favorite self-development book that you've read.
1: Boy, that's asking me like what my uh, favorite pizza is. I guess I would have to say if I had to choose, I'll, I'll give you no, I, I'm I can't pick one. I'm gonna pick one A and one B. That's fine. One A would be the Rogue Warriors' Strategies for Success. It's written by Richard Marcinko, and he is the founder of SEAL Team Six. So if you've heard of the the folks that took out Osama bin Laden and you know the legendary SEAL Team Six. Uh, and great practical strategies for business and leadership. There's a difference between being a leader and leadership. He tells some very true-to-life stories of people in business, but also his experiences when he was the leader of SEAL Team 6 that that I really took to heart and I think are very important, especially in this day and age. And the 1B would be um, verbal judo by a gentleman by the name of George Thompson and that for any leader in any industry in any walk of life is very important. Even if it's not used professionally, if it's used personally, it can be a great tool for marriages, and that's essentially coming from the standpoint of the philosophy of you can say anything you want to say to me as long as you do what I want you to do. And the example, one of the co-writers of the book was a police officer, and they can get a fair amount of disrespect shown their way, especially if If they pull someone over suspected of drunk driving, let's say, he would say, as long as they're doing what I want them to do, they can call me anything they want. They're just trying to save face and and look like they're the, the big person or whatever. But a lot of times what happens in situations like that, now it becomes, well, I have to show dominance and things start to escalate because one person says one thing, then the other answers back at a higher voice or harsher words. And then there's escalation. And then all of a sudden it gets out of control. And if you think of it in a personal context uh, with a marriage or a friendship, escalation can mean an ending in more than one way and sometimes that could be violence and when you were in a position like the military law enforcement uh, on down the line that can have deadly consequences and really when you read verbal judo it's an eye-opener in really communication at many or any levels and I have found that to be just an invaluable resource for me in communicating in everyday life.
0: Great. Those those sound very interesting. And quite frankly, those are two books that I've not heard of before. So I'm going to be looking into those. They are terrific. And here's the big question that I really like, because I think this will be most helpful to a lot of people if they're in this situation. Hopefully you're not, but if you're in this situation, what if you woke up tomorrow, had no job and no connections? What would you do to get back on your feet again?
1: I think what I would do, and, and this is presupposing that I'm not already involved in things, I would, I would start reaching out to local organizations and service clubs, Kiwanis, Rotary, Lions, any number of local community committees, if you will, and start building relationships. So much in our era is made, made a big deal about, well, you, you've got to be networking, Well, you know, you can be on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, and and you can form a lot of networks and you can do a lot of networking. But the key to me is relationship building. And I have a gentleman in that's a fellow Kwanian here in my community, and he is an extremely successful businessman. He's a financial planner. I talked to his business partner and said, well, you know, how's how's his year going? And he's like, oh, my gosh, he's, you know, 300 percent over last year and he's writing this and doing that and so on and so forth. And I said, well, what's his secret? And he said he's involved in everything. I took a step back and started thinking about all the things that he had talked about. Kwanzaa each week when we're sharing, you know, what's going on, and he's involved in every charitable organization work, whether it's uh, the Catholic schools board of directors, if it's the Red Cross, if it's the United Way every time you turn around there he is doing something. And people then get to know him obviously, but they also knew they also know that if there's something going on in the community, he's gonna be involved in it because he cares about the community that he lives in and helping people. And I think for me, if I were to wake up with no connections and no job, I'd start going to every community organization and club that I could and start volunteering, start getting involved, whatever the context was within the organization or club and just start forming a ton of relationships. Because as I look back at my own career in life with the positions that I've had, it's all because I had a prior standing relationship in a different context with those people that then put me on their radar.
0: Right. That's great. I, I, the marketing analogy I see is if you're trying to start a business, you want to go find other people and other businesses that already have your potential clientele there. So it it just made sense to me when you're talking about going to these organizations. Those are the places that all the businesses are already attending. Not only that, they're there with an open heart and an open mind, with a giving nature, and, and that's why they're there. So that sounds like a perfect place to be doing, I, I don't know necessarily want to call it networking, but getting yourself out there and getting to know the right people. And I think,
1: too, if you look at Kiwanis, Rotary, Lions, they're already predisposed to service and helping the communities. And those folks, when you start building a relationship with them in those clubs, Now, all of a sudden, it's now they can connect you with other people who might be able to start new relationships, new clubs, organizations. And I think it comes down to the old adage, and this is certainly not original it's not what you know, it's who you know. And to me, it's not just who you know, but who do you have a relationship with? Because to me, networking tends to be a bit manipulative and self serving. Whereas if you're relationship forming using networking principles, now you have a better chance of, of opening up to new opportunities because even the people like, say, in my Kiwanis Club, let's say I wanted to transition into something that one of them is doing, or maybe I don't, they might be able to connect me to someone who could. And I think it's, it's you know, when you connect with people of like minds and like hearts, suddenly the world gets a lot bigger because now they can connect you with other people. It's it's sort of that six degrees of separation sort of a a philosophy,
0: if you will. That sounds great. It sounds like a good place to end up. So Eric, I really want to thank you for spending your time with me today and uh, sharing your pearls of wisdom and your journey through your career. Your, Your first job is a very unique one as far as people I've talked to before. That was a... That's a pretty high starting point that I think most people would think. But, uh, again, I appreciate everything you've done. I appreciate your time, and I wish nothing but the best for you.
1: Charles, always a pleasure. Glad to to be asked and, and glad to be part of your podcast today.
0: Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. This episode of Reverse Interview is over. Please visit reverseinterview.com right now for more information about this episode and to get all of the insider scoop to land your dream job. That's reverseinterview.com. We'll see you next time on the Reverse Interview Podcast.